Just before Jesus ascended into heaven, he said to the disciples, and he says to us, that we have a job description, and that is to go into all the nations, baptizing, telling people about Jesus, discipling people. And one of the ways that we do that, if you look into the Greek way that Jesus said that, he says, as you go, make disciples. And that means that we're called to make disciples in our family. And we're called to make disciples in our neighborhood. And wherever we find ourselves, at work, wherever, we're called to make disciples. But you know, God has called some people to literally go to other cultures to share Jesus. And we take, in our church, Emmanuel Church, we take that very seriously. And we take it literally. And what that means is, is that we get the chance to support God's mission around the world through the Church of the Nazarene and other spaces, but we're part of a denomination called the Church of the Nazarene. And we have about 700 missionaries, and today we're privileged to have some very, very wonderful missionaries that have a close connection to Emmanuel Church. Rod and Sarah Reed and their daughter Katie are with us today. This is our what we call Faith Promise Weekend. It's a missions weekend in which we collectively agree with God that we're better together. And that collectively, when we give of resources, we're able to carry out the mission of God. So you may have never gone to Kenya, you may never go outside the United States, but actually you are when you give. Does that make sense? So scripture also says, blessed are the feet of those who bring good news. Somebody brought good news to you. And you should go back if you know that person and thank them. Maybe it was your mom, maybe it was your dad, maybe it was a Sunday school teacher. But there are people called missionaries around the world that God has placed that they share good news with other cultures. And so I'm going to invite Rod to come forward at this time. He is the dean at Africa Nazarene University, and the Reeds have spent about 20 years, more or less, in Kenya. We have a special relationship with Kenya through Kenya's Kids Organization. And would you like to welcome them as they come and share today? So, Rod. Well, praise the Lord. It's great to get to be with you today and to uh, share here at the Emmanuel Church. We do count it a, a privilege to get to share with you. We do feel a special connection with this church. Known some of the folk here for a long time. I believe this is now our third time to get to share uh, with you. And... Um, it is a sacred trust to be given by the church to represent all of those 700 and some missionaries of the church scattered around the world. And we are only doing one little slice of that global mission of the church of the Nazarene and the church, the body of Christ in general. But it's a joy and a, and a privilege to get to be here to share with you how we can indeed partner together. Um, it is the case, exactly as Pastor Mark said, that we are better together than if we all try to do our own individual things. And as a denomination within the Church of the Nazarene, all of us supporting the work together, we can strategically impact the worlds in ways that any of us individually or even this church as a whole could never accomplish. And so uh, we're blessed to be a part of that global team. You see my family here on the screen behind me here. I, I, I'm surrounded by beautiful women, aren't I? 
it's, it's a joy we've seen. I, I can't remember when the last time it was, how old are these girls were, but they've all grown up now. In fact, this is our first time as missionaries to come back to the United States as empty nesters. And so we're traveling around doing this thing, my wife and I, kind of uh, by ourselves. But today we're blessed because of the 4th of July holiday to have our, one of our daughters with us, Katie. In fact, she's going to share a little bit with you uh, this morning. But the other two, Becca and Hannah, they give you greetings as well. If you come back tonight, maybe you'll, we'll get to share more about them and what, what they're doing, where they're at in life. But Becca is back in Kenya even right now. She's dog-sitting for us, uh, but she lives and works there. She graduated from college a few years back and uh, came back to Kenya and uh, is working there doing ministry with an organization that specializes in orphans and vulnerable children, keeping them with their extended family. And I know this church knows about orphans and children of Kenya and Africa. And let me just say a huge thank you to this church for your commitment in that regard. You are making a huge difference in the lives of these children that you sponsor. Uh, they are getting opportunities they simply would not have had otherwise. And to know that now you are, have seen some graduating from high school and going on into other pursuits in life, I know must be satisfying. I experienced that at the university where I work, because the young people graduate and they go on. We now have uh, the children of those that maybe I first had the opportunity to educate way back when, joining university uh, at ANU these days. And so it's a privilege and a delight to do that. Uh, Hannah, our youngest one, she's in the state of Michigan, working at the Michigan District Campgrounds. And so we're excited for her to have that opportunity, really for the first time to have a real job. I don't know if working at church camp is a, is a real job or not, but, you know, it's a good opportunity because as a missionary kid, you're an expatriate, you don't have a work permit, it's mom and dad who are there to have the jobs and to do the ministry, but you're just kind of there. And so this is her first opportunity to get a monthly paycheck for a few weeks here during the summertime, and we're glad for that. Uh, my wife, Sarah, you'll hear from her in a moment. She's the children's ministry coordinator for East Africa. And that's a big job. As Pastor Mark said, I work at Africa Nazarene University. I'm the academic dean there and in charge of all the academic programs of the university. We want to talk to you today. I suppose it's a little bit like Pastor Stretch is going to be sharing with the kids at Nazarene Youth Conference. Can I just in passing say, I went to Nazarene Youth Conference, was it Nazarene Youth Conference 2019? It was 1970-something or other, huh? So it was a few years ago, but I can just say, young people, what a difference that made in my life and how this is going to impact your lives, I'm sure, as you go to that camp. Um, but we want to talk to you today about diving in. I think it's a, like what Pastor Stretch is going to be talking about, all in with Christ. If you go to the next slide, how many of you would do this? Are you ready for extreme sport or something like that? I don't know if they can do funny things with cameras these days, but that really looks like a long, long way down to me. I mean, these are big boats over there on the side uh, watching this 
kind of diving championship somewhere in the world. I just pulled this off of the internet, and uh, it looks like that might be a little bit intimidating, doesn't it? 19 years ago right now, my wife and I had just submitted our resignation as the pastor of a beautiful little church in Arlington, Virginia. And uh, it was a great community of believers, very diverse, and people from all over the world as a part of that congregation. And we thought we could be there forever. But then we got a phone call. Somehow God, God uses telephones, doesn't he, huh? Got a phone call inviting me to join the faculty at African Nazarene University. And Sarah's ministry was still kind of unknown at that time. And so we prayed about it. I think that was our first mistake. We agreed to pray about it. Huh? And the more we prayed about it, the more we became convinced that this is what God wanted us to do. And so we submitted our resignation to the church. And uh, maybe Katie will tell you the story of how we broke the news to our daughters at the time when, uh, we, when we were making that decision. And it set in motion a whole chain of events to get ready for that move. We had to pack up what belongings we could be allowed to take. And for us, that came down to some wooden crates, four foot by four foot by four foot. Filled them up with whatever we could take. And I had a large library of books I was taking with me. After all, I was going to become a university professor. And so that took up a lot of space right there. And we put in clothes and we gave each of our daughters a box about that size. Fill it up with whatever you want, whatever is most precious to you. And that's what we can take. Everything else that we had accumulated in life up to that time basically went out in other people's pickup trucks and cars in a big yard sale. Even vehicles we sold. And in so many ways, it felt like we were right there, diving in, in a new way than what we had ever done before. I mean, I had never even been outside the United States before. Had to get a passport for the first time to go to Kenya when we got on board that plane and left for, for Africa. And so... My testimony before you today is basically this. We're still here. We're still alive. And God has blessed us in so many ways for this journey that we have spent in Africa. And, and if you will just do the same, dive in with God's mission in this world, who knows what He'll do in and through your life. I think it goes back to this, if I had a text, if this were a normal message, I guess this next slide would be it. Jesus finds Peter and Andrew there beside the lake, these fishermen, and he goes out to them and says, guys, what you're, what you're doing is great, but I want you to put down those nets, and I want you to come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus was inviting them to dive in with his mission. And the next slide kind of symbolizes that. We're here to challenge you today in this Faith Promise Commitment Sunday, not just financially, but in all areas of your life, to dive in with God's mission. So with that, I'd like to invite Katie to come forward and share with you a little bit about her perspective as an MK. Anybody know what that is? Missionary kid, you're a bright group. All right, well, we learned, we learned Vietnamese and Croatian, so let me give you your greeting for next week. 
So you can say it with me. Buana asifiwe. Buana asifiwe. And that means praise the Lord. So you've got next week already taken care of. But it is a joy to get to be with you all today. To get to be with you, my family. As my father said, I was six years old when we moved to Kenya. And my parents decided that they would break the news to us that we were moving to the other side of the world by taking us little girls to McDonald's (laughs) because a happy meal was supposed to make it all better. And I had no idea what my father was going to say, but I was a very dramatic little six-year-old girl. And so he calmly sat us down at the table, my mother, my father, and my baby sister in diapers, my older sister, and my father in his fatherly voice that all fathers have, he goes, well, girls, we have something to share with you. And I didn't know what he was going to say, but I looked at him and I said, what, we're moving to Africa or something? (laughs) I promise, I had no idea. And my dad looks at me and he goes, well, And I lost it. Let me tell you, every single person in that McDonald's knew that this little girl was going to Africa, and she was not happy about it. But the story doesn't end there, because once we got to Kenya, my heart changed. And they became my family. They became my people. And I can look you in the eyes today and say that I am so thankful that God called my family there. And I'm so honored to be raised by such a wonderful village, my, my home in Kenya. And so today, the main thing that I want to share with you that I've learned from my life as um, the daughter of overseas missionaries is that life is about relationships. Simple as that. Life is about relationships, long-term, lasting relationships to equip the local people. So as I greeted you this morning, I said it was so good for my heart to get to be with you as my family. It's so good to be with my biological family when they live on the other side of the world And you just get a couple days every year together. It's very precious. But it's so good to be with with my family sitting here um, in this middle row with the Gaylords and just their faithfulness. But also you all as my Nazarene family. Because we are one team. We are one body. And you, you are so valuable. I don't know if you know the difference that you make. I'm somebody who has been directly impacted by you and your faithfulness even before I have looked you in the eyes. Because um, alabaster funds that you have given, that built the home that I grew up in. So thank you for giving me a home. Um, The World Evangelism Fund, that um, saved my younger sister's life. She had a medical emergency and had to be flown back from the States. We lived at the Ronald McDonald House and Cleveland Clinic. And the World Evangelism Fund that you all had faithfully invested in and trusted your resources to, that saved my sister's life. So thank you so much. The, the whole church all around the world is one family working together, holding hands, and we need each other. So I want to look you in the eyes and say we love you and we need you, this global family. And you have a part to play. So I want to challenge you, as someone who's just a young person still figuring out life, I want to challenge you. What is it that God has entrusted you with? And how can you give that away? How can you steward that to to make a kingdom difference, a forever difference? And that is made through those relationships. 
I work in Chicago um, with substance abuse prevention, um, with the people whose faces I look into every day have been through significant trauma, so much adversity, and there the, the drug dealers protect me. And that's because of those relationships that I learned following in the footsteps of these heroes in the front row. So that question, what has God entrusted me that I can steward to make a long-term kingdom difference for forever? And then also, I want to call you to, to get excited about long-term missions in the Church of the Nazarene, especially young people. I want to look at you and say, this is for you. We need to get behind this because there's nothing. If you want to make a difference with your life, I cannot think of anything that could make more of a difference. Because long-term missions with the Church of the Nazarene is the opportunity to equip the local people so that they can become the missionaries. Because they're so effective to take it all over the world to make true disciples who can make true disciples. So with all of my heart, I want to say to you, Asante Sana, thank you so much for your faithfulness with what God has entrusted you with, for playing your part on our global team, our global family because we love you and we need you. Thank you so much. Good morning. I am so happy to be here with you all and to be able to look into your eyes and to just, just, just thank you. Thank you for your partnership with us in ministry over in our neck of the world. world. I get to work with some wonderful Sunday school teachers. Any Sunday school teachers here? Any children's workers here? Yes, thank you so much. We're a wonderful, you're a wonderful group of people. I'm grateful to be able to be here with you. There's so many kids in Africa, so many children who need to hear about Jesus. You can go to the next slide. These are, there's some statistics here. The bottom bullet point I want to focus on, 42.2% of the population are under the age of 14. That's a huge group of babies, a huge group of people that need to know about Jesus. So it's my job to go and go out there and just say, okay, let's find some Sunday school teachers. Does this church have a Sunday school teacher? What's pastor? What's happening with your children's ministry? And then just to empower them and encourage them and say, good job, good job, do more of it. Let's do more. Keep going, keep going. That's my job across East Africa. You can go to the next slide. I just began, I began this ministry a very, very long time ago. I won't tell you how long ago, but a very long time ago when I was a little girl. And my Sunday school teacher asked, told me, the, gave me the words, the understanding to know what it means to accept Jesus as my Savior. And I prayed in my bed Gee, one night, Jesus, please come into my heart. I want to live with you forever. Take away my sins. I want to be changed. I want to be your child. I gave my heart to Jesus as a child, and then I just kept on saying, yes, Lord. Yes, whatever it is you want me to do, whatever it is. I met my husband in college, and he was ready to say yes to. I don't know what it is God wants you to do, but may I encourage you also to say yes. Maybe he wants you, you've, you've heard the invitation already today, to get involved in the ninja camp. Maybe that's something you're just thinking, should I do it? I don't know, I'm busy, you know. Yes, do it. Help, you'll be so blessed. Young people going to NYC, they're going to be talking to you a lot about what you're going to do with your life. Whatever God puts on your heart, don't be afraid. Just say yes. Yes, Lord, your will, I'll do it, I'll do it. It'll be a wonderful life, a wonderful life. 
I don't know what it is for you, but just may we, I hope we're an example to you of people who have said yes and just be willing to just give your lives to Jesus. So back to my Sunday school teacher training, I could go over there with all the passion and the, the desire to teach all these children about Jesus, but I can't do it alone. I have to do it with, I need some help. So it's my job to dive into these lives and encourage them. You can go to the next slide. These are our children's ministry directors from across the, all the different countries of East Africa. They speak different languages. They have different cultures, different areas of ministry. But I pour myself into them, my team, we pour ourselves into them, empowering them. Then they go back home and they can teach Sunday school to their children in their villages and their, their areas. So that's the job that, that I have said yes to, that I will do. I'll keep, I empower them. We help them with some materials. You can go to the next slide. This is a book that we have. It's called My Church, helping them know what it means to be, helping the children to know what it means to be a Nazarene, what we believe, what we Nazarenes believe, what, we, what our faith looks like as Nazarenes. We have it in different languages translated, and then they can, they can grow up understanding, really, what it means to be a Nazarene. The next slide, these are our articles of faith that we believe in as Nazarene, the basic foundations. So we have games and fun things that these children, we teach these children to understand what my church looks like to them. So they grow up, they become strong Nazarenes, and they can continue to rate, to lift their, their churches up in leadership. The next picture, this is Juma. This is an example of one of the many children that our Sunday school teachers have reached for Jesus. Juma was a, a Muslim boy. His mother brought him to the Jinja Uganda Central Church of the Nazarene because they had a feeding program. They were very poor. They came for this Compassionate Ministries. But through that, she accepted Jesus, and she became a Christian. Well, she kept bringing Juma and his twin little sisters. But Juma was rough. He was naughty. He was, he was beating the, kid, the other kids and pinching them and stealing from them. And the Sunday school teachers are pouring their, pulling their hair out saying, what do we do with this child? We need to send him away. But some of them just said, no, we have to love him. Let's keep loving on him. Keep praying over him. Keep pouring ourselves into him, teaching him. So they did all that. Eventually, Juma really gave his heart to Jesus and was changed. Juma wanted to change his name, which is common for Muslim families. If they come to know Jesus, they, they want to change their name to a Christian name. We've known Abrahams change their name to Abraham, things like that. His, Juma's family said, no, you cannot change your name. You were born Juma. You were born in our Muslim family. You will die, Juma. So Juma said, no, I want to change my name. So he changed his own name to be Juma for Jesus. So Juma for Jesus now is a strong Nazarene, changed heart, changed mind. He's going around telling everybody he can about Juma for Jesus. This is just one example of Sunday school ministry and the opportunity we have to affect lives. The next picture, this is Mark. He comes from Bujumbura, Burundi. Mark also, he grew up rough, rough, rough kid on the streets. He grew up, his Sunday school teachers poured into his life and really began to disciple him and raise him up. Now he's also a strong Nazarene. This is, all, this is just what the Lord has given us to dive into. 
this into to myself especially to dive into dive into God's ministry God into these Sunday school teachers again I don't know what it is for you he wants you to dive into but can I just encourage you to take that step take that next step of trusting him dive into it we need you as mission as working over there we need partnership with you we need to we need to work together with you May you dive into this ministry together with us. We thank you so much for, for having us. We, we just see your track record. It's huge. May we just encourage you, dive in more. Trust him more. You never know what God will do with your life. Thank you. Indeed. Uh, let me share with you some a couple of other people who dived in with God's mission. If you go to the next slide here, isn't this a handsome couple? Hmm? 1906, Harman Schmelzenbaugh was a student in one of the forerunners of one of our Nazarene colleges or universities down in the state of Texas. And he felt the call of God on his life to reach out to lost people in Africa who had never heard the gospel before. He couldn't even wait to graduate. The people at the college were saying, no, Harmon, you need to finish your studies first, then go. But didn't bother waiting for that. He just said, I need to go now. They got behind him with a commitment of $200 a year. I'm glad we've improved things a little bit since then. Uh, but they got behind him with that amount of money, and he got his ticket and set sail on a boat for Africa. He met on that boat Lula, who was also going as a missionary to the lost people of Africa. I don't know, maybe it was the love boat or something like that. As Pastor says, maybe we can do things better together, and that's kind of what they decided. And they got married eventually, and they set off into the interior of Africa in this ox-drawn wagon. If you go to the next slide there. And... They traveled for several weeks before they got to what they now call Swaziland. But did you hear that the king of Swaziland changed the name of the country to Eswatini? That was about a year, a little over a year ago. And did you know that the king of Swaziland, just a bit of the fruit of their efforts, the king of Swaziland was born in our Nazarene hospital in Swaziland, Eswatini. But they, when they first got there, the queen of Swaziland didn't want these foreigners in their midst, didn't want this foreign religion being preached, and so they, couldn't, they weren't even allowed to settle for a while. They lived in the back of this wagon for several months before they were even able to put up a semi-permanent structure to live in. And it was six or seven years before they ever had their first convert to Christianity. Can you imagine that? I mean, many of us, we would give up after the first few months or the first year or something like that. But they labored for six or seven years before their first convert to Christianity. And under those conditions, I mean, I've been there to Swaziland. I've seen the grave of Harman Schmelzebach. He died after 19 years of ministry there as a result of a tropical disease. Buried three of his own children in infancy or early childhood for the same reasons. So they paid the price. Why? Because they had dived in with God's mission. If you go to the next slide, this is the, the fruit of it all. Now 750,000 members of the Church of the Nazarene scattered across 
34 of the 54 countries of Africa. I can see back on the back row, one of the part of that fruit, uh, Epaphrodite Shumbu. Would you just stand up and wave to the congregation? Uh, he is... He is a graduate of Africa Nazarene University. I've had the opportunity to teach him in class. And he now lives here in the Philadelphia area. And we just decided to take this opportunity uh, to reconnect with him. But do you realize now we have more members of the Church of the Nazarene in Africa than we have in America and Canada? And much of that just in the last... 20 or 30 years. So God is doing a good thing over there. Let's, let's fast forward a little bit and go to the next slide. This is the grandson of that Harmon Schmelzebach, Harmon III. He and his wife, Beverly, were also missionaries for the Church of the Nazarene in different parts of Africa. They landed in Nairobi in 1984 and began the work of the Church of the Nazarene there. And the church grew rapidly and they quickly realized the need for a, a training institution for church leaders for Africa. That was at the same time that the government of Kenya was realizing that there were far too many young people coming up through the educational system and the public universities of the country would not be able to keep up with it, so they opened the doors up for private university education. And Harmon, with his background, knowing the Church of the Nazarene, knowing how well we've done our universities here in the States, the lights came on and it just became obvious that maybe now was the time to establish a Christian university in Africa for the Church of the Nazarene. They did so, and this is a photo of him standing on the land that would one day become Africa Nazarene University. ANU opened its doors for business in 1994 with three academic programs and 63 students. Okay? Now, if you came to Africa Nazarene University, you would see 30 to plus academic programs, 3,400 students enrolled in our university. That's just a token of what God has done. But you know what? It wasn't just people like white missionaries who dived in with God's mission. I mean, think about that first Harman Schmelzenbach and that first African convert to, Christ, to, to Christianity that they reached out to. How much persecution that they may have experienced back in their home country when they decided to become believers in Jesus Christ. So it's been all about all of us together working to fulfill that mission of God in this world. Let me share with you a couple stories about those kind of people. Go to the next slide. This is Mr. Timothy Kahiko. Epaphrodite will know this man. He's the deputy registrar at African Nazarene University. Even right now, he is just going into retirement at ANU. Remember, I just said a moment ago that we began in 1994. That's when the university started. So this guy has been a part of the story of ANU for all but the very first two years of our existence. Way back when it was just a fledgling university, didn't even know if it was going to succeed. We didn't even have any of our own full-time faculty. We were just borrowing faculty from the public universities in Kenya to come in part-time or adjunct with us. Only a few missionaries as full-time staff there. But he left a secure job in a similar role at one of the public universities there to join Africa Nazarene University, this little fledgling startup, because he believed in the value of Christian higher education. And he dived in. 
go to the next slide. This is our current president, or we have a different name for it over there. We call it vice chancellor. His name is Dr. Stanley Bebe. Dr. Bebe and I have a long history together. We were students together working on our PhDs at Drew University. So we were so excited when he was tapped to come back and join us full-time at ANU. This guy has come to us with a wealth of experience. I mean, he was the president of World Vision South Africa for several years. He was, most immediately before joining us, he was the CEO of a large government corporation in charge of, of rural development projects across South Africa, building schools and other infrastructure and educational projects in that nation. Had a budget a bazillion times bigger than what we have at Africa Nazarene University. Had a salary, I'm sure, a bazillion times bigger than what we could afford to pay him as our university president. But he left that because he believed in what a Christian education could do for a young person. By the way, I'm, I'm here to encourage all of the young people of this church. Attend, unless, unless a Nazarene university or a Christian college somewhere doesn't have the degree program that you're interested to study, you should be trying to get to one of our Nazarene colleges and universities because it too can be life transforming for you. If you go to the next slide, this is, this is the slide of our main campus right now as we stand. And you can remember that, that earlier slide when there was nothing there, just Savannah, right? In 25 years, this is our 25th anniversary year, we're celebrating at our graduation in October of what God has done at ANU. Indeed, if you go to the next slide, this is a picture of our graduation, graduating class a couple of years ago. Maybe a thousand students and you know, it's in Africa where that phrase came, it takes a village to raise a child. Well, when that child graduates from university, the whole village likes to come and show up for graduation. And so in addition to this uh, thousand uh, people there, there were probably like six or seven or eight thousand who had gathered for that graduation ceremony. The, the motto of our university is, what begins here transforms the world. We believe that if we can transform these young people through the renewing of their minds, then they will go out and be the salt and light in their society and make a difference in the world around them. By the way, if you read any of our Nazarene missionary books, if you're familiar with those, the title of one of those books for this year is What Begins Here Transforms the World. Has a beautiful picture of some of our students dressed up in their cultural attire. And everything in the book is about African Nazarene University. All the people, all the stories in it, those are my colleagues or students at African Nazarene University or were in just recent years. So you could look there to read more about it. If you go to the next slide, I want to share with you a couple of instances of how our students and our university community are diving in with God's mission, even in the big picture of things. Have you heard of the Holt Prize? This is a global competition for university students where they give them some world-sized problem and they say, think of how to create some innovative solutions to address that problem. And so our students have participated in that the last three or four years and they've done well. This last year that problem was waste. What to do with our waste? We have too much waste on our planet. And so these are three of our students who began to think around that issue. 
And they realized that Kenya is one of the largest producers of pineapple in the world, ranked in the top 20. And so they began to think about that. And, you know, if you think about it, what do you do when you go to the grocery store and you buy a pineapple, you bring it home and you, you cut off the skin, you cut off the top, you cut off the bottom, you throw that stuff away. And then you eat the meat in the middle, except for maybe the core of it. Well, what about that waste? And so they began to think about that. They did some research, and they found that you can take pineapple leaves. Are you ready for this? You can take pineapple leaves and make, process it and make material to make shoes or footwear out of. Isn't that cool? And they took that idea. It's kind of like a shark tank thing. You pitch your idea before some judges, and they had the national competition in Kenya. All the other universities of Kenya had their teams there, and they won with that idea. They went to the regional competition in Dubai. I've always wanted to go to Dubai, but I've never been able to go there yet. But these guys now have been there. And they competed there against teams all over East Africa, North Africa, the Middle East. And they won there. And so now they're getting ready to go to uh, Great Britain for some special training with all these other regional winners, refine the ideas a little bit. And then they'll compete somewhere in the world for this global prize. And it's called the Holt Prize because if you win that prize, you get a million dollars to incubate your idea into a viable business. Isn't that great? And so this is one way of diving in with God's mission to solve issues like pollution, waste, etc. If you go to the next slide, these are some of our students. These, these two lovely ladies dressed in the black gowns they are the outgoing leaders of our student body, student body presidents, one of our main campus and one of our Nairobi campus. They saw a problem, and that problem was too many of their fellow students were having to drop out of school because of finances, right? You might think, well, man, you know, our tuition at ANU is probably like an eighth of ENC, maybe a tenth of Olivet, where some of our daughters have gone to school and you might think, well, that's surely very affordable for people. But on an African economy, it's still just as difficult for parents there to send their kids to college as it is for parents here. And I see that as the academic dean. Many of these students you'll see on the grade sheet at the end of the semester when we're approving the grades, they, maybe they, they completed two assignments and then the rest of the assignments and the final exam are blank because they had to drop out because of fees. And so they saw that problem. They said, you know what, we should do something about this. And so they rallied their fellow students and they did fundraisers and, and they put together, uh, you know, we didn't, we didn't require them to do this as the administration. We didn't kind of twist their arm to do anything. This is what they wanted to do. Raise several thousand dollars and they were able to keep 20 or 30 of their fellow students in class as a result of their efforts. And so this is a picture of, they had a big banquet at the end of it all to kind of celebrate. And this is them, along with our university president, handing over a ceremonial check to one of the students that they were able to help with that effort. Again, helping their fellow students, loving on others. Just like Katie said, it's all about loving others and helping others to love God and others. And they were doing that. If you go to the next slide, uh, this guy standing next to me, he is the cabinet secretary for the Ministry of the Environment in Kenya. So this is the guy who sits with the president and helps inform the president on all matters related 
to the environment. We have a week at ANU where we celebrate the environment. We talk about environmental stewardship and being uh, good stewards of God's creation that he's given us. And this guy, as well as his team, and by the way, the woman sitting next to him in the military-like uniform, she is the officer in Kenya in charge of all the forests of Kenya to ensure that there's no illegal logging and that the forests are being... Deforestation is a big issue in our part of the world. So these are the people who came to help support us in our emphasis on creation care. I don't know what it's like here in the States for our universities, but in our part of the world, in some ways, we have the opportunity to kind of like be a, a big fish in a little pond. You know, our, the influence of our university can be somehow magnified there. And these people like to be associated with universities, and so they'll come and they'll join you. I don't know if we were joining them in their mission or they were joining us in our mission, but I think together we were joining God in his mission. Amen? If you go to the next slide, this uh, guy pointing his finger is one of the faculty of our School of Religion and Christian Ministry. The lady next to him is a judge in the family court of Kenya. She's a good Christian woman, not a Nazarene, but she came to one of my wife's children's ministry workshops to get some training. She's a Sunday school teacher in her church. So she came to that training and she met some of the religion faculty and they began to think about a problem in our society. And that is that the court systems are overloaded with cases. I myself was in a traffic accident, relatively minor traffic accident. Had to go to court 13 times, spend a pretty sizable sum of money to retain a lawyer just to prove my innocence. And there's not that many people who would be able to seek justice if those are the terms for it. So it's a real issue. So the government of Kenya said, let's find some alternative dispute resolution mechanisms like we have here in the States. You can settle your matter outside of court with the use of an arbitrator or maybe a mediator. And so that's what we were trying to do over there. The government says, let's, let's find these alternative ways to help people resolve their disputes so we can reduce the backlog of cases. Well, she met the religion faculty at this training and they decided, why don't we put together a training to certify these court-appointed mediators? Here's the neat thing. In Kenya, there's not this hard line of separation of church and state and sacred and secular kind of thing. And so if you and your neighbor are having some kind of a dispute, you, and you're both Christians, you can ask the court to appoint a Christian mediator. If you were Muslim, you could ask for a Muslim mediator. And so they decided, let's train up these Christian mediators for the court system. They did. They put out the marketing. And, and you know, a lot of church leaders and pastors are, were already engaged in this kind of activity as part of their normal ministries. And so they enrolled in this. We go to the next slide. This was the first cohort. And I just saw on, on my email photos of the fourth cohort of this training up Christian mediators. And this is the final class session. They told all the, all the, the participants, wear your black suits and ties because it's the final session. And this is the judge swearing them all in now as court-appointed, certified Christian mediators. Isn't that neat? Because, you know, Jesus, he's our mediator between God and humanity then I'm just sure if we're doing mediation between our fellow human beings, we're joining him in his mission in this world. If you go to the next slide, um, 
in the interest of time, let me skip over that. Go to the next one, if you would. This is interesting. This guy here in the robe, he is the chief justice of the Supreme Court of Kenya. He was our guest speaker at our most recent graduation. Remember, these, I said, big fish, little pond. These people like to be associated with our university. He's a good Christian man. He came to be our speaker. The lady next to him is one of the graduates. Her name is Maria. Maria has cerebral palsy. And so she has struggled so much in life. In our part of the world, many times kids with disabilities aren't given an opportunity for an education. In many cases, they might be just kind of, no, I don't know, uh, neglected or hidden away or something like that. But not her parents. She, they wanted her to have all that she could take. And they brought her to Africa Nazarene University. And Maria is such a, you can see the smile on her face, right? She's such a happy uh, contagious, positive spirit, despite all the obstacles she's faced in life. So we wanted her to share her testimony at graduation. And when she did, it was a standing ovation from the crowd. So everybody just loved what she had shared, so much so that when the chief justice came to give his speech, he said, the first thing I do before I even say a word is, I want a photo with that young lady. So they came down front, took this picture, and he had all of his media people there, and that got splashed on the, around our Kenyan media. And since that time, she's been on television a few, several times. She's been interviewed. She's like becoming this national spokesperson for persons with cerebral palsy in our part of the world. Joining God in his mission. To go to the next slide, I, you know, we could talk about what we're doing for people, persons with disability. We could talk about what we're doing about the environment. We could talk about what we're doing about the judicial system. But if we don't talk about what we're doing for the hearts of these young people who come to our university, then somehow we're missing the bullseye of the target, aren't we? And so I need to tell you today that ANU is investing in the spiritual development of the lives of our students. We have an office entitled the Office of Spiritual Development. Great chaplaincy team. They're doing a great job. We have chapel twice a week there, required of all of our students. By the way, we have about 3% of our student body are Muslims at ANU. They come to us because they know they're going to get a good education and prospects for a good job after they graduate. But while they're there with us, we have the opportunity to introduce them to our Jesus. We also have all the typical students who are, who are maybe Christian in name only. They might say they're Christian, but do they really have a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ? And so we're there to help talk to them about faith. One quick story. One young man came, gave his testimony, said, I knew what the university's policy was about drugs and alcohol, but I came to the university addicted to drugs. He would sneak off campus and do his habit off campus somewhere, try to get back in through our security at the gate, looking sober, but he said eventually all of this messaging of the university about the Christian life and freedom in Christ and the Office of, our Spirit, Office of Spiritual Development, the Dean of Students Office, people were working with him and he, he found Jesus and got freedom from those addictive habits that he was involved in and just said, I felt so compelled, I wanted to go back and share my story with these, these guys I used to do drugs with back in my home village. And so they organized like a weekend uh, crusade or spiritual emphasis time there. They went and shared, and these guys, after their initial skepticism wore off, and they realized that this was the real deal, 
this guy and his new testimony before them, about 30 of them gave their lives to Jesus Christ as a result of that work. God is doing a good thing. We have a 7 in the morning Bible study. Students only, except for one office of uh, chaplain there. 7 in the morning. And they had to split it because they had too many students. How many university students get up for Bible study at 7 in the morning, huh? As a token of what God is doing. Skip ahead two slides if you would. Let me finish with this. You see, can you see these people standing on the top of this hill? They are there. This is a real place out on the Colorado River somewhere after it goes through the Grand Canyon. My daughters and I were on our way to a church service somewhere, just like we came here today. We had a little bit of extra time, so we stopped off to see the beauty there. We saw these guys up there. We thought that must be a great place to see all around everything. So we climbed up there. It took us about 15 minutes to get there. But when we got there, we found out what those guys were trying to do. They were trying to run and get the nerve to jump off that cliff which way is it? Down into the water below. I don't know if that was a good idea or not. They, they had a couple of beer cans there to help them think about it. But uh, uh, that's what they were trying to do. And uh, we were there with them for maybe 15 minutes or so. But uh, we realized we needed to shove off. So we climbed back down. So you get the picture. 15 minutes up, 15 minutes there, 15 minutes back down. When we left there, they were still up on top of that hill trying to get up the nerve to jump off the cliff. As far as I know, they might still be there to this day. Well, here's my parting shot. When it comes to joining God in his mission, I don't want to be like these guys, all talk and no action. If you go to that last slide, I want to be like this guy, all in, holding nothing back. You look at him, he's, he's a professional, he's got his toes pointed, he's got the perfect form and everything. But I don't think that's what God expects. I don't think God expects perfection of us. You may be feeling a lot inadequate when you, when you hear missionaries come and speak about what they're doing somewhere around the world. But you know what? God just wants us to be available to Him. He's not so concerned about our ability as our availability. So will you make yourselves available? On this day, your faith, promise, commitment, you're going to be talking about finances for the next year, supporting the work of missions, would you make your pocketbook available for that? Would you make yourselves available for whatever it is God has in store for you here locally or abroad? Dive in with God's mission. May God bless you. You've heard a good word today, haven't you? These next few moments are about listening and responding. When somebody stands up publicly and talks, you know most of us have an internal conversation while someone is publicly speaking. Did you know that? I have internal conversations. Some of you were like, wow, what time is it? Some of you were like, hey, got to go to the shore. Some of you were like, Hmm, lunchtime. You know what I think most of us were doing? Actually, I think most of us were thinking, am I really all in with Jesus? Have I really taken the dive? And so you have this internal conversation. 
uh, maybe this is your first time here, maybe you've been here for years. This message is, yes, it's about missions, it is. But this message is about really where, where are you at with Jesus? Is Jesus just a name that you hear every once in a while? Maybe even a curse word. Or do you really know Jesus in a meaningful way? And even beyond that, if you know Jesus, are you all in like the diver? That's the central message, actually, that Rod and Sarah and Katie are sharing. That's the first thought. What has Jesus been saying to you while you've been listening? The second thought has to do with this handout that hopefully everybody received. Just pull it out right now, if you don't mind. There's two sides. The first handout, or the first side of the handout, just has the words faith promise on top. And then it gives kind of a detailed description of what Emmanuel has done, you have done, in missions this year. Did you know that we gave $208,843 to others this year? That's pretty significant. Yeah, why not? By the way, that's only part of it. We have other denominational responsibilities like supporting our regional college, Eastern Nazarene College. So we're closer to $300,000 that we just literally gave away, okay? So here's my dream. My dream is, is that for every dollar we spend on ourselves, we invest a dollar someplace else in the world. That's just, I don't know if it's ever gonna happen, but that's my dream. And I just keep thinking about it and I keep praying about it. So we're at, you know, 28, 27, 29%, somewhere in there. One day, I hope we get up to dollar we invest here, we invest a dollar someplace else in the world. That's what this is about, okay? The, the other side is really a description of what faith promise is about. I won't take the time to read that. It kind of gives some more details about where giving goes. And then it gives, of course, some ways that you can contribute, whether it's the, through envelope. You know what envelopes are, old school? Online giving, mobile app, those kinds of things. But the top of this handout is meant to be folded over and torn off. This side's for you, the bigger side. This side is an opportunity for you to simply write a pledge out for your mission giving for the year. So here's what you need to know about Holly and me. My wife is uh, right over here. Our three grandchildren, three of our four grandchildren are with us today. Holly and I have three priorities when it comes to giving to the church. The first is tithe. We tithe 10% of our gross income to the church, to the Lord. The second is we give toward faith promise. We actually, to be truthful, we tithe on our tithe. That's what I do. We just write a tithe check on our tithe check that goes to missions. And then we give toward the building fund. That's just like future expansion here. Those are the big three. This is what Holly and I do. And I ask you to consider contributing. Start with tithing. Forget about the building fund if you have to do that. Go with faith promise. Would you consider simply giving an offering over these next 52 weeks and just saying, hmm, I'm listening. I'm listening. What do you want me to give? So here's what the next moment is. I'm going to pray. So I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads, close their eyes. I'm going to pray. 
And I'm just going to ask God to give you and give me a number. Maybe it's the same number you gave last year. I don't know. Maybe it's less because you're in a financial downturn. Okay. Maybe it's more because you're prospering financially. I actually don't care. Because to me, it's never about what people give. It's always about 100% participation. If you're here today and you have no job and all you have is 50 cents in your pocket, would you be willing to give 25 of the 50 cents? Great. That's you for the year. I, I don't care about the amount. What I care about is 100% participation. Does that make sense? So after I get done praying, you'll have a moment to write your name on this little card and whatever your pledge is for the year to support world missions in the Church of the Nazarene. And the worship team is going to sing a closing song. During that closing song, just come up to the altar and just lay the card face down. That's it. Just, just lay it right down on the altar. We must have been heavy on this side because there's like 40 cards over here and one over here. So this service, everybody go over there. Is that fair? Just so we even them out. Would you stand, please? This is about giving to the mission of God and about participating in the great commission of going and making disciples. Let's bow our heads together. So, Jesus, um, you're a generous God. You sacrificially gave of yourself so that we may experience forgiveness and reconnection with the Father. And so we want to give back. And I don't know what that looks like for anybody in this room, but would you speak to Holly and I about the number, the gift that you want us to give this year? And we'll respond and we'll do so obediently because you've called us to the privilege of giving. And Lord, I have this phrase that keeps going around in my mind, no pressure, all pleasure. I picked that up somewhere along the way. No pressure, all pleasure. I don't want anybody in this room to feel any kind of pressure.